Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. If you will, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 16. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. Allow me to read this passage. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the right unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despite authority. Daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where there is no knowledge, will in the destructive in the, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children." Forsaking the right, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke of his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Hey, looking at this passage, kind of going back a little bit last week, we saw from last week that God shows his wrath upon the wicked, the unrighteous. But at the same time, God is able and will rescue the godly from the temptation as well as His coming wrath. We see this with Noah as well as Lot. Even though God was bringing punishment, destruction to the earth uh, with the flood, He still rescued righteous Noah. And the same with Sodom and Gomorrah. Even though God was destroying those sinful cities, He still rescued Lot from that temptation. So we too live in an evil, corrupt, ungodly, unrighteous world. And if God can rescue Noah and Lot from their situations, He can also rescue us. Uh, We're not going to get lost in the shuffle. God knows us by name. And when that end time, when that final judgment comes, we will be rescued out of it. So now we look at the day of judgment. The second part of verse 9 says and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. If God can rescue the righteous out of punishment, out of destruction, then the opposite is true. The unrighteous are doomed to punishment on the day of judgment. There is a day that will come where all will be judged. If you have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that means if you are a true child of God, uh, surrender to the Lordship of Christ, then you will avoid the judgment. You will be taken to heaven and you will receive your eternal rewards. But if you have rejected Jesus as Savior and Lord, then you will face the final judgment. And so that's really what verse uh, 
uh, 9b is talking about that uh, while we who place our faith in Jesus will not face that judgment, uh, there are many who are scoffing at God who will face that judgment. And here's the situation. There are people, we call them atheists, who say there is no God. And if there was a God, he could just strike me dead, you know, dead right now. He could send a lightning bolt or he could cause a massive heart attack or whatever. If there truly is a, a God, then let him strike me dead. Well, sorry, that's not going to happen, right? And so they use that as their proof that there is no God. Well, according to the Word of God, and we're going to actually find it in Second Peter, I think, later in the third chapter, the Bible says that God is patient. He does not want others to perish, but He wants all to come to salvation. And so He is postponing His judgment till a later time. So one day they will face that final judgment. And so... Uh, we look at these verses, verses 10 through 16. We're going to see really four specific sins that those who strive against God are prone to showing. The first one is really found in verses 10 through 12. And it's really, they despise authority. They despise pretty much all authority. Well, God has established different authorities in our life. When you're born, you have parents that God is giving a unique authority to raise you in a life that's supposed to please Him. So there's parental authority, even if they are not children of God. We are supposed to obey our parents. We're supposed to respect them. And so we have that uh, level of authority when we're born. And then as we grow up and we become employees... Uh, the Bible uses the master-slave or the master-servant terminology, but basically in today's world, it's, it's employer-employee. Uh, he's in place bosses or supervisors or employers over us. And according to the Word of God, we are to uh, show respect to those in authority over us in the workforce. And really it says that we are to work as unto the Lord. We're not really working for a company. We're not working for that one boss. We're working as unto the Lord. So the way we work should honor God in all that we do. And then the Bible is also very clear. If you go back to First uh, Peter, uh, he spends a lengthy amount of time talking about the different authorities over us. And one of those is the kings, the, the governmental authorities. And God says you may not agree with the king. You may not agree with whoever the president is or those who are in uh, government authority, but we are to respect their office and we are to ob be obedient to the laws of the land. And unless they de deliberately uh, attack what we know to be right in God's eyes. So we're to respect the office of those who govern over us. And the Bible says we are to pray for them as well. So we as children of God are supposed to respect authority, all authority that God has placed over us. But these ungodly, they reject, they despise all authority. In our world today, false teachers have infiltrated our education system. They basically teach our kids at a young age, your parents don't know anything we are the authority over you. We will tell you what is right and wrong. Your parents do not have authority over you. So that's rejecting that parental authority. 
we look at even the workforce. The workforce is getting weaker and weaker, mainly because people refuse to work the way that they need to work to earn a living. Uh, Everybody has come with their support animal and they demand having so many hours where they take care of their own personal needs and you know, don't put too much pressure on me or I might melt. And so you, know, you don't have authority over me. I tell you how I'm going to work. And government authority, we have basically almost become a nation of anarchy uh, when all the riots were going on. There's no... no uh, presence that says this is wrong. Basically, uh, in Portland, I think was, you know, they, they basically just cordoned off a section of the city and said, okay, the rioting is okay as long as you're in this corridor. That's anarchy. That means there is no governing body that says what is right and wrong. And this is just growing by leaps and bounds, not only in our own nation, but in the world around us. And is being led by false teachers. So they reject and despise authority. And why do they do this? Well, it basically just comes down to that they live by their own fleshly desires. Whatever they deemed as right is right in their own eyes. So they live by what we see as a corrupted mindset against God because they do not believe in God. They do not follow God. They do not obey God's teachings nor His, uh, His laws. Uh, those without salvation basically live according to their own desires. Now, I use the term fleshly desires, sinful desires, whatever you want to call. Uh, the Bible often uses the word sensual desires. Basically what that means is whatever feels good, do it. And that's why we have uh, a tremendous problem with drugs, alcohol, and sex addiction. addiction. Try to get it right. Uh, people are so strung out on drugs, alcohol, they become sex addicts. Uh, pornography is a billions and billions of dollar industry right now. People are, they, their mindset and their hearts, their lives are geared by what is, feels good to them. And here's what the false teachers say. This is how we were created. This is our natural state in life. And so why shouldn't we do these things? Now, folks, this is nothing new. In Jesus' day, the nation of Rome was just as corrupt. Uh, they had sexual orgies at just about every get-together. They the, the wine flowed freely. Drunkenness was the norm. They don't have the types of drugs we have now, but anything that they could do to heighten their senses, they would do. And so this is nothing new. It's just that we see, see it more prevalent, I think, uh, in our society today. So the false teachers are basically claiming, if it feels good, do it. So this is really what their, their focus is on. Uh, this fleshly desire is also fed by their own ego. Um, they dare people say that what they are doing is wrong. Here's basically what our world has determined. You do what you think is right, and I'll do what I think is right. You can't tell me what I'm doing is wrong, and I can't tell you what you're doing is wrong. You live by your own standards, I'll live by my own standards, and we'll agree to disagree if we need to. 
That's pretty much how our world is living right now. And so they crave that. They say, if I can live by my own standards, I really don't like what they're doing. But as long as they're not affecting me, as long as they're not picketing me, as long as they're not uh, boycotting me, as long as they're not telling the world that I'm doing something wrong, I can live with that. And sooner or later, they will accept me to such a degree that they'll probably say, you know, they're getting by with it. Why can't I? And so they will draw more and more of the weaker crowds to themselves. So we look and just like I said, that they despise authority. According to the scripture here, it says that they even revile angelic majesties. Now, basically, what this is basically saying is that they thumb their nose at spiritual things. Anything that is spiritual, anything that points to God, they revile, they, they despise. Now, according to this, what the next verse says that um, even though they revile angelic uh, majesties, verse 11 says, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Basically, the angels are created beings just like us. We're different, but they are created beings by God. We are created beings by God. God tells us that we are not in the position to, to judge others, that we are to allow God to take vengeance because vengeance is God, thus saith the Lord. The angels are basically saying the same thing. It's not our place to judge mankind. That's God's place to judge and it will be His judgment that will come against them, not the angels. And so basically they're saying, you know, even if the angels are being despised and rejected by the false teachers, the angels are not going to condemn them because it's not their place to condemn, just like it's not our place to condemn. But being uh, created beings, um, we're seeing that they're setting the example for us are we to judge those who are false teachers? We have no right to condemn them to hell. We can tell them that the path that they're on will lead them to hell. We need to be spokespeople for God. We need to share with them the gospel. We need to share with them our own personal testimony. We need to help point them to the truth. But we cannot condemn them. It's not our place to judge them because we cannot send them to hell. God is the only one that will bring judgment. But the Bible kind of equates these false teachers to wild animals. They're living by their instincts. It, we've probably all seen like a National Geographic where you've got the, the, the lion and he chases after a pack of gazelles. He's seeking the slowest, the weakest, so that he can attack and devour well, that's basically what false teachers are. They're living by their own desire for their fleshly needs. And they want to devour those who are weak around them. They, they see it as a victory when they draw any others into their group. And so they're constantly trying to, to capture away those who say they're Christians who want to live a godly lifestyle, but they really don't have the foundation. They don't have a true faith in Christ to do it. And so they're looking for the weak. They're looking for those who are liberal-minded. They're looking for those who that they can entice away. And they're living by their instincts, their selfish, sinful, fleshly desires. And again, they're trying to lead others to follow. 
But according to the Word of God, they, just like they capture and kill others, they will one day face their own judgment and be destroyed. We know that that will take place at that last day of judgment. Then the second sin that they commit, we look at verses 13 and the first part of verse 14. Let me just read that part to you. Suffering wrong at the wages of doing wrong, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in the, their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin. They revel in their ungodliness. Now, for a lot of people, to do what they know is wrong, they try to do it in hiding. They do it secretively. I mentioned pornography. Many people who are addicted to pornography try to hide it by doing it at home or in some you know, remote place where they think that nobody else is going to know about it. For those who have an affairs, they think that they can hide it by doing it in secret. Well, basically these false teachers, according to the Word of God, they revel in displaying their ungodliness. Now let's think about how they display that. Certain months of the year is called Pride Months. And they have pride parades. Now if you don't understand what the word pride means, it doesn't mean that you're proud of, uh, of your home team victory or something like that, like the Mississippi State baseball team last year. Pride is the lesbian, gay, transgender, all those ABC letters that claim that their lifestyle is just as equal to the lifestyle of a heterosexual straight person. And so they flaunt their sensualities. They flaunt it openly. They say this is who we are and we're happy about it and we want the world to know that this is the norm. Now, we are seeing more and more companies that are flaunting their support of these movements. You know, years ago, Di uh, Disney was uh, doing a few things that you know, a lot of Christians were a little upset about, but even the Christians could not uh, agree on whether or not Disney needed to be boycotted or any Christians who were boycotting Disney were laughed at. Well, right now, they have a new CEO or head of Disney, and they have said 50% of all Disney characters must be non-heterosexual, in other words. People who do not fit the norm. Alternative lifestyle characters. 50%. Disney. Okay? They just made a, uh, a rule at all Disney theme parks. You are no longer to address them as boys and girls or ladies and gentlemen. They've got to be neutral gender in all their communications with their public. Now, folks, this is Disney. So they're flaunting this lifestyle. And they're not the only ones. The false teachers in this world are 
doing everything possible to lead people away from the truth of God's Word. They want their abnormal behavior, their ungodly behavior, to be the norm. Well, according to statistics, if you look at the lesbian, gay, transgender, and all those other terminologies, if you basically did a poll survey, which has been done, for those who do not identify themselves as heterosexual, which basically means you and I, straight people, somewhere between 5 and 7% of our nation's population do not identify as heterosexual. But yet, according to the, everything that you see on television, read in the paper, you would think that the large majority would do not identify as heterosexual. That's what the false teachers want to do. They're trying to turn the page and say, what we used to do in darkness, what we used to be ashamed of, what used to the, the, the norm rejected wholeheartedly, we are now doing fully in the sunshine. We want everybody to see it. And that's exactly what that is saying. They suffering wrong at the wages of doing wrong, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. That's happening today. So we look and we see they revel in their ungodliness. Then the last part of verse 4, uh, they seek to entice others. Picking up, it says, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Now, just like I shared the illustration of the lion chasing after the weakest gazelle, they know how to prey on the weak. Now, who are the weak? Well, if you go into any church today, you're going to find those who are strong Christians. They believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord of their lives. They live a surrendered life. They read and study the Scriptures. They spend time in prayer, praying for the Holy Spirit to be their strength and God and everything that they say and do. Then you got the others that attend church because it's kind of a social thing to do. You know, some friends go there. They make some business contacts there, and they give their tithe, and they, they show up, and they do the Christian things. They hear the gospel, but they are not living under the gospel. They have not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. So they're the first ones that they're going to entice away because they don't have the foundation to stand. They don't know how to stand firm when attacked by satanic lies. And so they desire to seek out the weak, the spiritually weak, They also try to make Christianity like themselves. They infiltrate certain religious groups and they gradually try to show that this lifestyle, this way of living, is the norm. I don't know how many denominations have gay, lesbian ministers, but it's ungodly. They basically have said this lifestyle is okay in God's eyes even when the Scriptures clearly say it is an abomination against God. And so they have found the weak areas in, quote, Christianity and say we have gotten a foothold and now we're taking it inch by inch, foot by foot, mile by mile, 
and now we have total control over these denominations. The denominations no longer claim that the Word of God is the inerrant Word of God. They no longer claim that there is an absolute truth, that truth is what we make it to be, what we believe to be the truth. So they have been lured away, enticed away by these false teachers. Then the next uh, sin is that they reject the right path, verses 15 and 16. This is talking about Balaam and Beor. I don't know if you recall the story, but basically it says that the false teachers are, um, they surely have been exposed to the gospel. They know the truth. They, they can probably quote the Bible better than a lot of people because they take words and the verses out of context all the time and they reject any conviction they might feel by being exposed to the Word of God. They purposefully choose to go astray. Uh, their greed is another reason for their way of life. They want followers so that their followers will support their way of life, not necessarily just emotionally and encouragement, but they want the finances behind it. They want to grow organizations that they can be a part of, leadership of, that they can get people to donate to or give to so that they can have incredible wealth. Well, if you don't know the story of Balaam, it's found in uh, Numbers chapters 22 through 24. It's a little bit lengthy read, but it might be good for you to reread it. Balaam was a Gentile prophet. Now, Balak was the king of the Moabites. And the Moabites have always been enemies of Israel. Well, Balak, the king of the Moabites, feared the Israelites. And he was trying to figure out a way to overcome Israelites. So he found out about this man named Balaam who was a prophet and he says, I'm going to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites. And so he made the first opportunity to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites. Well, Balaam knew God. He knew of God. He was a true prophet. God could speak through him. And he knew that what Balak was wanting to do was not of God, so he rejected him. But Balak did not give up. He kept going back, and sooner or later, he offered an offer too good to refuse. In other words, the money was just right for Balaam to change his mind and say, well, I see your point. I think I can do what you want me to do. And so Balaam, the prophet, starts heading on his trip, to curse the Israelites. Now, if you don't remember the story, there's a donkey involved. Balaam is riding a donkey. God sends an angel with a sword to stop him from going to make this curse against the Israelites. Well, Balaam does not see the angel, but the donkey does. And the donkey runs off into a field to avoid the angel. And Balaam whips the donkey back onto the path. The donkey sees the angel again with his sword drawn, and he pushes Balaam up against the side of a, cliff, of a wall to try to get away from the, the angel. And Balaam once again beats him. And the donkey with a man's voice tells Balaam what he's seeing. And then Balaam realizes that the donkey is actually saving his life from being killed by this, this angel. And so he understands he cannot curse Israel. 
So what he does instead, he basically tells Balak that he will speak the word of God and he brings a blessing instead of a curse. However, Balak had already given him a tidy sum of money. So he had spoken the true word of God, but then he backtracked and told Balak, well, if you really don't like the Israelites, here's what to do. Your neighbors, so make a peace treaty with them instead of worrying about them attacking you and wiping you out, and instead of them worrying about you being an enemy against them, why don't y'all just be neighbors? Just say, you know, let's just live at peace with one another. Well, God had always told the Israelites to stay separated from pagan nations like Moab. And but Israel agreed, and they became neighbors, and they became friends, and sooner or later, they were participating in the orgies of Moab, worshiping the same pagan gods as Moab. And then God had to discipline them and kill thousands of Israelites doing so. So Balak hired Balaam, and the picture is that uh, even through the voice of a donkey, it didn't all work out the way it should have. Balaam repented and did not curse Israel, but then he turned around and helped Balak do what he did. And that's enticing Israelites into the ungodliness. So basically we've seen four sins of the false teachers. They despise authority, especially spiritual authority. They revel in their ungodliness, flaunting their lustful, fleshly lifestyle. They seek to entice others to follow. They follow after their greed, and this all comes out in their sinful pride and lustful desires. Now let's look at Christians, a true follower of Christ. A true servant of God is humble and seeks to serve others. A true servant of God does not seek praise nor earthly rewards for their ministry. A true servant of God honors God in all that they do. A true servant of God uses Jesus as their model. So as we quickly approach the last days, the days of judgment, there's going to be an abundance of false teachers. Let me uh, read a passage of Scripture. It's actually found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths or lies. Y'all see that happening more and more every day? Well, that's just evidence that we are approaching whatever you want to call the end times, the, the time of judgment. When Jesus comes again, it will not be to come to save the world from its sins that opportunity will end when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again, it will be a time of judgment. And so we need to be praying that somehow we can be used of God to overcome the negative influences of these false teachers. And the first thing we need to do is make sure that, that we are not enticed by them, that we are strong in our faith. We need to Make sure that we are dedicated to the Word of God, studying just like we are right now, that we're dedicated to a time of prayer, having that intimate relationship with the Lord, and that we 
live in such a way that we know Jesus more and more. See, the, the more we know the truth, Jesus, then the easier it will be for us to identify the counterfeit, the false teachers. And we must realize that we can't do this in our own strength. That's why we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us to be our strength, to be our guide, to be the, the way of knowledge and understanding. So we look and we see that uh, the false teachers are plentiful. They're not ashamed of what they believe. They will flaunt their beliefs publicly, and they will do it in such a way that is enticing the world to say, oh, that's just normal. That's okay. See, the more and more times that they infiltrate Christianity to a point where Christianity says, well, that's just the way they are. Let's just accept them for who they are. Well, by accepting them, then they say, well, Christians are fine with us, so why is there, why is there a problem? The nation needs to just go ahead and sign all the laws over to us so that we can live our lifestyle. Well, guess what? The nation has signed off all the laws so they can live the way they want to. That's where we are today. That's because false teachers are plentiful. Well, let's close with a time of prayer, so let's bow together. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your presence in our lives, and Lord, we count on you to be our strength and our wisdom and guidance so that we can understand when we are under attack by these false teachers. Lord, we know that we are supposed to hate the sin. And Lord, we're supposed to identify it. We're supposed to teach others that it is against your will. Lord, first we have to look at our own lives and realize that we have sin in our own lives. And Lord, that we need to first confess our own sin before we confront others with theirs. Lord, always give us that ability to share your truth in love. To share it in such a way that uh, instead of pushing a person away, that they'll be drawn to you. Lord, help, help us just to love the person, to share with them the truth. The truth is that we are sinners just like they are, that we have found an answer to our sin, and that's through the love of Jesus Christ who died for our sins so that our sins can be forgiven and that we can receive that gift of eternal life. And by doing so, that you enter our hearts and lives and you begin to transform us into what you desire us to be, not what other people tell us we have to be. Lord, may we be found faithful in sharing your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.